This project was produced by Planet FM with support from New Zealand On Air. The series features 15 candid conversations with people from migrant and former refugee backgrounds, sharing their stories, their lived experience, their own perspectives and covering some sensitive topics. I'm Alina from Storio, and you're listening to Pass the Mic. Due to the global pandemic, we've recorded these conversations from the comfort of our homes. This is episode eight. In this episode, I'm talking to Midula Oblangata, who's from Maldives and lived in Malaysia before coming to New Zealand. Midula, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And yeah, I'm so... I'm very excited. I mean, I I wrote down some bullet points. So, Medulla, to start with, there is so much about you online around advocacy and drag and your journey from Maldives. But maybe we can start there. What shaped you into the person you are here now? Let's talk a little bit about your background or, you know, anything that you can think of that shaped you into who you are. Pure selfishness. Truly, I just want to live the best life. But also, like I suppose, like, growing up, I was one of those people that was, like, kind of set aside, almost. I left the Maldives when I was 12, going on 13. I moved to Malaysia, and then I was sent away, and then, like, I lived alone for, like, a really long time. There, there's 14-year-old boy, like, gambling and smoking, like, in Malaysia. Eventually, you know, I, and then I moved to, like, New Zealand, and... I fully discovered who I was, accepted my sexuality, and I did all those things. Ultimately, it does come down to selfishness because how can I continue to live the life that I want and not hurt other people? Because it's all too rampant that people who can't truly be themselves sexually or whatever, you know, so these men marry women and they're in loveless marriages producing children just so like they can keep the family is happy? Like, what the fuck? Why can't we ever be, like, true to ourselves? Selfishness in terms of living without harm and judgment and being true to ourselves, then we should all be selfish. And in terms of, you know, rebelling against the system that you lived in, do you, did you have, like, any role models or people alongside you that were rebelling against the system too? I, I, was, I was a kid. I was too worried about, I guess, trying to get high. <laughs> I started smoking weed when I was, like, 16. And... It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't about any of those things. Not till like in my like twenties, turn on flip switch came on in 2009 when I was with my one and only ever boyfriend in the past. I've, I've been single for 13 years now. When I was with them, we, we basically dis- discussed how I can like stay in New Zealand, but then I also wanted to do it under my own merit. We had decided that maybe we should get married so that we could, you know, find a way to keep me here. And we had a joint bank account and all those things we like proved we had the evidence. But then like, ultimately, I think what ended up happening was that I started an online community called the Rainbow Maldives. And I created a website called the Rainbow Maldivian. Um, it's got such huge views still to this day. Like, I haven't uploaded anything onto that website like since 2015. But basically, that website was an English translation 
of all the activities that kind of happened in the more days from like homosexuals being accused of things to um, pedophilia to women being raped to religious like issues I had I covered basically all those stories and then like I guess the whole political thing really does come from like me wanting to be free when I went back to the Maldives in 2010, I didn't waste any time to organize a protest um, for calling for um, religious tolerance. Um, and it was like just a silent protest. Um, we organized it online. 30 something people showed up like and it was all anonymous. We didn't know who any of these people were. And that was like amazing feeling to know that there were like other people they weren't necessarily like gay or anything and that was like a nice feeling and then i like half of us went and like had tea afterwards and stuff like that were you already living in new zealand when you went back to maldives to do this i had broken up with my boyfriend in 2010 and my visas were expiring i was not functioning well and basically, I came out to my dad at that point and then I was like, oh, you need to be with your family. Come over and we'll take care of you and I'll send you back in six months. Liar. Biggest liar in the whole world. Like, So I, I went back because I felt like, you know, I, I needed the family, you know, because I'd never really had that. Yeah. So I was there for like two years. But then he managed to come back to New Zealand again. And that was with the help of, I guess, a couple of friends. Um, I had one person sponsor my visa to New Zealand and I had another person like buy me flight tickets and I had another person pay for my actual visa itself. And then I had someone else offer me a place to stay and- Ah, the power of the community that you got. That's, oh, that's pretty special. That's pretty special. So Medulla, what about drag? Tell me more about your drag. Look, I've always been a little queer boy and we've always, you know, worn my sister's heels or my stepmom's heels or my like stepsister's heels. Drag's always kind of there, but you don't find drag. You don't like look for it. Drag finds you. Proper full like makeup, heels, hair, outfit, doing a show was in New Zealand and it found me. What, what does that mean it found you? How, how did that happen? Um, there was a person who came up from Auckland. I was living in Tiana, but two hours, two hours away from like Invercargill. This person had come up from Auckland to Tiana to like help um, organize a fundraising for, can you believe it, a new medical center. <laughs> Dare I say like, like people who are like confident in their sexuality can see other people. Right. I guess that's how they approached me. And then I was like, oh, no, I couldn't because, you know, I was already having a hard time with the kids at the high school in Tiana where like they already assumed that I was gay and I was very much in denial. And then I did it. And then I guess that was it. Like, and I didn't do it again for like two years because it took two more years for me to get to like Wellington. Do you organize your own performances? Do you work with particular? Yeah. How does it, how does it work for someone who doesn't know? The drag behind the scenes situation. Look, I'm like, I'm literally not the person for that uh, because my climb up the drag like letter has been, I don't know, is, is tumultuous the right word? Yes, I get the feedback quite often that like I am reliable and I do a good job. But at the same time, I am never the first person called for the gig. I've never wanted to speak about this before, but like, I don't care anymore because no one is literally hiring me. Why do you reckon, why do you reckon is that? I don't know. 
I think a little bit of xenophobia and I've been called difficult to work with. One of the employers in the past has literally said to my face, stop acting like medulla. What does that mean? That's me. I think like people don't necessarily like that I am super blunt and super honest. And and that's like a like a very I don't want to say it's a very New Zealand thing because like ultimately no one's fucking special. I think it just does come down to like people don't like being confronted and or people don't like opinions challenged. But also at the same time, I wasn't doing any of those things. I was wanting to clarify what was being said. So I got the gist or understanding of what was truly being asked of me. But apparently that's too much. How did you find your way around that? Because you're still obviously in drag. You just keep going. You just keep going. Because like I've made a career out of being the last girl standing. Literally, that's been my entire career. If a girl hasn't been available, I've stepped in. Or sometimes there needs to be seven girls not available before I step in. You've done so amazing. Whenever I think about Auckland Drag, I think about Missoula. And knowing that you did this with the odds stacked against you, that's even more impressive. Hmm. When, when you think about identities, Medulla, we have gender, ethnicity, you know, like all this intersections. Do you have any particular parts of your identity that are more important to you? I, like, my identity is very strongly queer culture. That's the only kind of, like, constant, even if it's not necessarily from whatever country that I was in, that was the only constant that I could kind of, like, reach out to and see. Do you have any attachment or any cultural, like, any of the countries you lived in as a, as a kid? No. Um, like, I still love Malaysia. Malaysia, I would, like, be happy to. But obviously, you know, for political reasons, I can't necessarily go back to the Maldives. But, like, you know, those... I wasn't really allowed to do anything when I was in the Maldives when I was younger. And I was only, like, in the Maldives as an adult for two years. Yeah, I can see it would be much harder to form an attachment to a place where you couldn't be yourself, truly. And as you said, queer culture being the constant in your life, too. And what about drag scene, Medulla? What does diversity and representation look like within New Zealand drag scene? I don't know. That's... That's a hard one to like kind of answer without really implicating myself, isn't it? <laughs> we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. No, we do. We do. Because like, fuck it. Fuck it. No, there, there isn't necessarily like a lot of representation. Because like you'd see pictures and stuff that are like used for advertising and stuff. Currently with Ivana being the exception, Ivana is like... um indian fijian person who is currently on an ad both in and out of drag for a and z for during pride but usually a lot of these things are just white people they are i i don't know i think it's subconscious and obviously it's not like the queen's fault or anything like that it's the people that are in charge of putting together the the project they just do i guess whatever i don't know i don't know I'm just forever grateful that anyone is organizing and that anyone is booking people, especially like during a pandemic. Though I may have felt certain things about that prior to the pandemic, I don't feel the same anymore because we're just lucky to just get a gig now. So, And those questions of, you know, home and belonging that we're discussing here, they come up really strongly through COVID times as well. So what I wanted to ask is queer culture still your home and during those times 
Was kind of Quirkology still the main part of where you found belonging, or do you have much attachment to a particular place? No, still the Quirkology. And like, oh, wait, I wrote down here, home is friends. It's, it's the people that I've made emotional connections with. Like, home isn't necessarily a place. It's, it's a concept of a feeling. And being now in, you know, we were just talking about, about our citizenship before, being Kiwi now and what it means. And yeah, do you have any thoughts around that? Like, do you ever feel, see yourself now that you're also a citizen? Girl, it means nothing. Literally, it means nothing but a means to an end. Being Kiwi isn't special. Being like a Maldivian isn't special. Being wherever that you were from, like, it's not special. Kazakhstan, it's not special. I'm sorry. All these countries with borders, they're not special. I'm grateful that New Zealand has accepted me as a citizen. But again, it doesn't mean anything to me. I, it just means to me that I can continue to live my life the way that I want. The whole idea of borders and how we treat each other based on those imaginary lines on the maps, like I guess the question of migration and refugees and, you know, it's a big one here when it comes to borders. And, you know, and actually on that note, I've seen you do fundraising events and talk about refugee rights and migrant rights. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? I can't say I've done enough. I can't say I've done enough and I can't claim to be like an outright activist when I haven't done much. But I guess what's really happening is the fact that I am so painfully visible that that in itself is an act of revolution. And the best thing that I can do is keep providing visibility because Ultimately, like, I feel that there are many people that can't be themselves. So, like, when they look at me, they see the possibility of what could be to get a little bit of a spark going in them to ultimately maybe that'll inspire them to climb out of their little dark hole. When being visible and living the life the way, the way you want to live it and also drag in general is so already political like that that's already work being out there every day just existing that's political like me me drawing a breath every day is political i'm thinking about all the people who are being political just by celebrating themselves right just by like living their true self yeah it can be such a hard task for some people in our society and you know we're talking about mental health here death threats that people get like where do you get the strength for that how do you take breaks from any of that you don't you just ignore them you just ignore them because ultimately like at the end of the day you have to continue to live in your to continue to live your life i also do get a lot of death threats but fortunately for me these death threats are like overseas and the police in new zealand are well aware of this i always constantly worry advertising where i am going to be oh medulla this is heartbreaking to hear in New Zealand, do you still, are we better with that? Do you still, do you still get that in New Zealand too? No, but you know, there's been haters. Like when I was like in a high school in Tiana, you know, like I've, I've been in a couple of fist fights, but that's like, you know, people not understanding the, the sexuality and that wasn't anything beyond that. You know, they don't really know me. There's, there's nothing major. Then, then like, you know, the odd, like, like, down the street. Like, 
I don't care anyone around me beyond like me. Like this sounds so bad. Like this is such not a good podcast. Like I am living my life, but that's where the hatefulness comes in, right? Because I'm so selfish and don't give a fuck about anyone else. But, but of course, like, you know, as long as you're not really hurting anyone else, do you, you know? Do you, do you, you know, before I asked you about the whole like ethnic community or an ethnic identity and you rolled your eyes can you tell me more about that why did you why did you roll your eyes what do you i don't know like ethnic what does that even mean like how would you define that i don't know like anyone that's not white i i like to be quite confrontational and literally call anyone not white not white and white people can't stand that what does it mean to be ethnic Some people like the term, some people like the person of color. Some people just like to define themselves as a, I'm from this country. I don't like the term people of color because that is very close to colored people, which is offensive. And like, you're just adding an off in it. And then you're swapping the words around. It's still the same thing. I've like kind of never been really aware of like race as such because in the Maldives they're, they're all brown right basically they were the majority and also like Maldivians are like inherently quite racist as well you know what it means to not be white it's like I guess like you know they, 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 there's been like microaggressions and people have said things and like you, you just kind of like left thinking like what's that where did that come from i haven't even said anything someone says go back home i'll be like go back to britain like (laughs) i mean it's stupid like and that's that's the point right to also show them the absurdity of what they're trying to say you call it out when you see it or when you experience it you call it out immediately do not let it fester i think yeah actually now i'm thinking about it like i've started doing that where like i know people are learning I get that. But like, even even if they aren't uh, accidentally make a mistake, I will still point it out because like, that is how we are going to better ourselves. Yeah, I have like friends who get angry when I point these things out, but then try harder. It's an unconscious effort on the non-white people's side to keep constantly having to like fight this battle. It's like, why do we need to? We didn't ask for it. So, like, you as a white person, why are you so offended that I've just corrected you? Chill out, chill out. This has been such a great conversation, Medula. We talked about so many things. Queer culture, religious intolerance. Oh, I can ask you a million more, and I'm so glad that I have this opportunity. Um, but I'll round us up with quick fire questions. And we have four. Um, the first one is about food. What is your favorite dish from maybe Maldives or Malaysia? If you have one. Nasi lamak, obviously. Like, <laughs> it's a staple breakfast food. Like, And I remember like every morning going down the road to the mamak and like having the nasi lamak. Like, it's so great. If you could be the main character in a movie or TV show, what would it be? What would it be about? It'd be really boring. <laughs> Because, like, oh, these days I'm definitely not doing a lot. Like, it's a lot of, like, napping and eating. So I don't think I would make a really good movie. 
because the, 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 there's there's no conflict, there's no resolution. <laughs> okay, our third question: If you could propose a policy change to New Zealand government, what would it be? Oh, that's just like it's just so much power that I cannot think of what to do. I mean, like. I also did want to become, like, a member of parliament, like, in the past. Yes. I don't know. I think I've discovered that I'm quite lazy, so... For the last quickfire is, what makes you feel like a badass? The fact that I leave the house every day, it's, it's quite empowering, like, and whether I'm in or out of drag, like, it's slightly more evident when, like, you know, like, the confidence, like, when you're in drag or when I'm in drag. And, like, you know, you get to just be out there and see things for yourself. Like, it doesn't matter even if it's, like, down the road, like, where your house is. Thank you so much, Medulla. I know these topics are quite, like, vulnerable and challenging and can be hard to discuss. And I'm just really glad and honored that you said yes to this opportunity, um, said yes to this, to talk to me <laughs> and uh, get, me, get me to ask you all these questions. And I can't wait to edit and listen to all of this as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was Medulla. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, check out the 14 other incredible conversations in this series. Share, subscribe, send to someone who might benefit from either feeling seen or learning more about ethnic experiences in Aotearoa. These conversations are a collaboration of Belong Aotearoa, Planet FM, Storio, and Sport Waitakere. So you can find the links to those excellent organizations in the bio. Thank you to our funder, Auckland Council Regional Development Fund, and to New Zealand On Air. Thank you.